0: Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Merry Christmas. Christmas is a wonderful time. It's a, a time of comfort. Uh, at Christmas time, people gather with family. Even in the midst of the really bitter cold, you still kind of have that warm and cozy feeling inside, don't you? It's a season of traditions that are designed to evoke nostalgia and to make you feel warm and fuzzy. With the bell ringers and Christmas carols, Christmas lights, Christmas cookies, even even ugly Christmas sweaters. Those things are all things that contribute to that feeling of warmth and comfort. And it's nice, isn't it? It's, It's really nice to have a season like that. But... It also kind of reminds me a little bit of visiting the Amish country. You ever go up up to the Amish country and, and you see how everything is up there? And uh, they don't have all of the luxuries that we enjoy. And, and people go up there and they see the horse and the buggies and they, they, they think, oh, wow, that's, that's simple living, right? That's, that's the simple life. That's real freedom. I'd like, I think I could live like that. Well, if, yeah, sure, on a day like that, you would love to live like that, wouldn't you? Go have to get your horse ready to go anywhere and have to make sure that they aren't freezing to death. And if you really want to go somewhere, you get in a buggy and you're freezing to death because there's no heater in the buggy. The Amish, though, have this, this whole business thing uh, figured out where they sell nostalgia and warm feelings, and comfort, and coziness, and they, they put sugar and butter all over the top of it, and everybody thinks it's great, right? They, they've got this whole theme park of warm fuzzies. But at the end of the day, what happens? Tourists leave. They get in their cars with their seat warmers, and the, uh, their heater, and their Bluetooth-enabled entertainment systems, and they drive home... Two homes that have all of the creature comforts that we've learned to take for granted. And my point about this is this, that it's easy to so sentimentalize Christmas that we get caught up in the the comfort and the coziness and we forget what it really is. We miss the point. One of my favorite theologians, uh, Martin Franzman, wrote about Christmas. uh, The Christmas account in Luke 2, he wrote... This story has been so transfigured by Christian legend, song, and art that it is difficult to read it afresh in the simplicity of Luke's narrative. I mean, he's not wrong, right? You've heard it so many times, it's hard to hear it afresh. And yet, let's give it a try. Let's try to hear it with new ears tonight. First, let's listen to verses 1 through 7 and consider just how ordinary everything is that happens here. It doesn't sound extraordinary at all. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In these verses, there are no angels. There's no shining star. There's there's a census, an act of government in order to collect taxes. One commentator wrote about this The account is devoid of all ornamentation. It is artless, simple, matter of fact, and yet represents the highest art. How can human rhetoric ever adequately extol the birth of the Savior of the world? the evangelist manifests the proper evaluation of it simply by chronicling its occurrence. In very simple, straightforward words, Luke just says, here's what happened. And then he he leaves all of the the colorful details and what it really means. He leaves all of that to the angel. He doesn't even try it himself. He just says, here's what happened, and now let me have the angel fill you in on the rest. So picking it up there at verse 8, You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's so familiar, right? It's it's so comforting, warm and cozy. But let's look a little closer at this. In the midst of the darkness of the night, suddenly there is this light shining. Now, this would be terrifying for anybody. But imagine, you know, in the days before artificial lights, this would have been especially frightening, I would imagine. But, but even for us, in our day and age, the type of light that this was would certainly be something that we would marvel at because this wasn't just ordinary light. This was the, the light of the glory of God. Now, I don't even know what that looks like. <laughs> but I would imagine if we saw the light of the glory of God, It would startle us, too. And then, in the midst of the the light of the glory of God, there is an angel there. And not a warm and fuzzy angel like we usually see on Christmas decorations, but an angel that causes fear. This happens most of the time when somebody sees an angel, doesn't it? They don't see an angel and go, oh, that's cute. they, They look at the angel and they're terrified, And I think part of the reason for that is because angels are described in Scripture in military terms. Ranks of angels, legions of angels, and even right here, the heavenly host. These are military terms. It's an army of angels that appears. Well, what does that tell us? Well, there's an army there because war is imminent. Emmanuel, God with us, hasn't come into the world simply for us to feel warm and fuzzy. He came to do battle. He came to wage war against the forces of darkness. We have a description of this in in Revelation chapter 12, where we have kind of a whole different approach to the Christmas story. Revelation chapter 12 gives us the the Christmas account, but it it shows it from a different perspective. And a great sign appeared in the heavens. A woman. A woman. Clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out with birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems." His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them into the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child and the one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, o, o earth, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. We see We see pictures of Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus in the manger, and what? All is calm all is bright. It's beautiful, but it's just not the whole picture of what's happening. Satan wanted to destroy this child. Satan would lead Herod to try to have Jesus killed as a baby because Satan understood that this was God coming into the world to do battle, to wage war, to defeat him, just as God had promised would happen all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 when after the fall into sin, right after the fall into sin, God promises to send one who will bruise the head of the serpent. And so you have an army of angels, and with the night lit up, the glory by the glory of God, these angels sing. Well, maybe, maybe they sing. It actually says that they said. Right? It doesn't say they sang. It says they said. But understanding that this was an army of angels, do you suppose maybe it was more along the lines of kind of a call and response? Was it more than just words for shepherds to hear and share with others, but what is it also maybe a battle cry of sorts? I mean, you guys go to, you go to an Ohio State game, right? And, and somebody says, OH, you know exactly what to do next, right? You say, OH, and you say... Okay, you got it down. You know exactly what to do, right? Why? Because <laughs> they're getting everybody fired up, right? You're trying to be excited about this. You're trying to share that excitement. Well, the same kind of thing I think is happening here with the angels. They're sharing that good news, but they're, they're, they're preparing for war. They're preparing for the, the battle that is coming. And so you have glory to God in the highest, And then it says what? Peace among those with whom he is well pleased. It's a a mouthful. (laughs) But that's a translation thing. That's a translation issue. It's a good, faithful translation. And it does communicate exactly what is there in the text. This whole idea is that we do have peace because uh, God is extending this peace. We do have the goodwill of God being extended to us in the person of Jesus. That's there in the text. That's being communicated very well, but but maybe to to simplify it just a little bit, we could say something like glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men. So, the call would be glory to God in the highest and everybody else says what? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Because The battle is beginning, and the battle is won by Jesus. We have in Jesus one who is so much better than just warm coziness and sentimentality. We have a God who came into the darkness as the light. We have a Savior who came so that we can have hope because he delivers the things that he promises. We have the long-promised Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, who becomes God in human flesh. We have a God who comes to do war against the forces of sin, death, and the devil, and he wins, and he gives us the spoils of victory. In this Christmas story, we hear of the God who is, the God who comes to be our help, the God who saves. On Christmas, we don't merely celebrate warm feelings and family gatherings. Those are really nice, though. We don't just celebrate giving and receiving of gifts and eating Christmas cookies, but that's, that's really nice too. But we celebrate because what the angel said is true. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.